0: You're tuning in to the Black Hollywood Live Network, featuring news, interviews, and commentary on all things Black Hollywood. Hollywood Redefined. From Los Angeles, California, presented by Maria Menounos and streaming live thanks to Akamai Technologies, this is Black Hollywood Live. Justice is served. Featuring the week's roundup and commentary on legal news. Black Hollywood Live. Hollywood Redefined. You're listening to Black Hollywood Live. And now, the host of Black Hollywood Live, Justice is Served.
1: Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's Justice is Served, the show where we discuss the latest in legal headlines. I'm your host, Mari Fagel.
2: And I'm Mari's co-host, Ebony K. Williams. So we're going to jump right into this this morning. We've kind of got a, a, an urgency with this because we have a special guest with us this morning. We are joined by... A really fantastic high-profile uh, civil and criminal attorney, Chris Chestnut, out of the state of Florida. And Chris is representing, um, and this is kind of leading us to the facts of the case. Chris is representing the family of a 24-year-old uh, gentleman who was unfortunately shot and killed by the Charlotte Mecklenburg police. His name is Jonathan Farrell, and he was shot and killed by an officer acting on duty. The officer's name is Randall Carrick. Okay. Um, yeah. So here's where we are with the case. Just real quick factual catch-up. Um, the Charlotte Mecklenburg police chief, um, Chief Monroe decided after you know, careful consideration that he felt this officer was acting beyond force. He suspended this officer without pay, and the officer was arrested. Now, after the arrest, with this type of high-profile homicide, um, or any homicide for that matter, you have to go through the process of trying to obtain an indictment. And that is a formal charging of the defendant, in a particular charge. And in this case, the state of North Carolina even brought in a special prosecuting team. They brought in the state attorney, General Roy Cooper, to avoid the conflict uh, that was taking place with the local prosecutor, Andrew Murray, because he actually used to be law partners with the defense counsel of the defendant here. So everyone, I I say that to say that this is I think being handled pretty carefully, it looks that way that everyone's trying to take the right steps here. Yet it seems like something might still be amiss because we know that earlier this week, the grand jury declined to indict this officer on involuntary manslaughter charges. So now I'm going to bring Chris into the conversation. Attorney Chestnut, um, first of all, thank you so much for joining us. How are you feeling about everything this morning?
3: Uh, thank you for having me, Ebony, first and foremost. But, uh, sure. I'm concerned, frankly, and I think my concerns are legitimate. Um, <clears throat> the Attorney General has been very suspicious in this conduct, frankly. Uh, we we mm-hmm. are hesitant to point fingers at the grand jury for the lack of indictment on the initial charge last week. Um, you know, as you know, the, the grand jury came back and said there wasn't enough evidence. Right. Well, I've seen the evidence. Right. And I think there's no an abundance of evidence, dash, and I think that he's the people involved would have indicted uh, yeah. Officer not only with manslaughter, but probably would have asked for a murder charge had they seen the autopsy report and, and the uh, dashcam video. Right. The dashcam video clearly shows um, an unarmed young African American male approaching the police officers, not running away from them, mm. hands mm. out. Mm. He's p- posing no threat to them whatsoever, and you hear an Officer Karrick shoot him. It's one, two, three, four, pause. One, two, three, four, five, six, pause. <sighs> One, two. So a total uh, of
2: 12 shots, is that right, Christopher, and 10 um, actually, uh, you know, hit the victim. So sad. So 10 sad. hit the
3: victim, mainly in his torso, and all at a downward angle. Mm. Suggesting that Officer Carrick, at the time of firing his weapon, is in a superior position, that's no threat to him at all. Mm.
1: So now, Chris, this I is just highlighted want...
3: by the fact that there are two other officers standing to the left and right of Officer Carrick
2: who and, never draw their gun. And they never fired. Okay, go ahead, Mari.
1: And Chris, so... Obviously, the family is upset about what happened this week. You are upset, rightfully so. What is the next step? Because I read that um, it was only a partial grand jury, not a full grand jury that decided not to indict him. And that they also made, in my mind, an odd request, a handwritten note um, asking for an indictment for a lesser charge
2: that's true now i will say this we do know as of this monday and correct me if i'm wrong chris there's going to be a second grand jury convening because again attorney general cooper i i think maybe he was dissatisfied with the number because typically in mecklenburg county in in the state of north carolina it's an 18 member grand jury that would decide something like this only 14 showed up and you've got to get 12 votes to get the bill returned as an indictment so that seemed like a shortfall there chris how did you feel about that
3: Well, here's my concern. If you can't convince 12 or 14, how are you going to convince 18? Uh, Especially with the evidence. Here's the other concern. Here's why we're suspicious. One, we were promised a probable cause hearing. So a grand jury indictment isn't the only evidence. They could have done a probable cause hearing uh, to get the indictment, and that would have been public record. Right. The grand jury is secret. So we don't know, nor will we ever know, what evidence was presented to the grand jury and what evidence wasn't, which is why we're
2: suspicious. So I we wonder why he a, went that route. Yeah, that's so weird to me. I know, I'm just curious as to why they decided against doing a probable cause hearing, because I agree with you. I think that, first of all, opens up the transparency issue to the public and allows, because I mean, there's significant public interest because of what, let's just go there, right? This is a young black man off of the heels of the, you know, I would say, um, unjustified killing of Trayvon Martin. It looks... Looks like we're getting to a place, again, in the American narrative that there's a question mark as to the value of Black life, particularly Black young male life. And that's why this is such a knee-jerk issue for a lot of people.
3: I, I think so. I think we also have to broaden the scope of it and say, you know what? We, they, that life matters. Yes. Life, life matters and I agree. life matters. There was just a white gentleman a homeless gentleman that was killed in California as well recently. Yes, yeah, so I think we experiencing yeah. mm-hmm. post-9-11 is what I call paramilitary policing,
0: mm.
3: where you have overzealous police officers who need training. I mean there's an escalation to deadly force. You just don't jump to it. Yeah. Um, and that's what Officer Carter clearly did here.
1: N- now, you That's mentioned you yeah. mentioned um, the case in California. that was in Orange County of Kelly Thomas. Mm-hmm. He was the homeless yeah. man who was killed by police officers here. And um, the jury returned a not guilty verdict for those police officers. Chris, do you think when the police officer becomes the defendant, how do you handle a case like that with a jury? Um because obviously the police officer is there to serve and protect uh, in normal circumstances. How do you handle that?
2: To follow up with that before you answer, Chris, I agree with Mark. I think that jurors oftentimes presume credibility to mm-hmm. officers of the law. And and yes, strategically, Chris, how do you combat that presumption? And I
1: just want to make a one oh. quick note. The Kelly Thomas case is very similar in that there was also video right. evidence. There was video of these officers beating this man to death and these jurors saw that video and still decided not to convict the officer and the defense attorneys in that case were able to use that video to turn it around and say oh he was acting crazy can't mm-hmm. you tell from the video so chris how how, are you, how can they characterize the video in your case in jonathan's case um you know in your favor
3: well i think it, a lot of it does do with public perception and again i think that's why it's the paramilitary paramilitary policing I think that we've gotta separate our military from police domestically. Um, and there has to be a different standard. So it's public perception. One, but two, the, key, the answer to your question directly is void ire. I mm-hmm. mean, you've gotta root out folks and you've got and a judge has He's to allow you to jury selection to keep the core issues yes. mm-hmm. of bias, an right. unconscious bias that a jury will have or that a prospective jury will have, that you've gotta root out as a lawyer in void ire and get that person off the jury.
2: Right. And for those not familiar with the term, that's that's a legal term uh, talking about jury selection and how we pick the jury. And many attorneys and, and I'm one of them that feels like really and tell me if you agree, Chris, probably the most important aspect of your case is jury selection. I think many, 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 Absolutely. many times, no matter the facts, no matter the evidence, no matter your witnesses, if you drop the ball at jury selection, you are pretty much fighting a losing battle. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. That's, that's you know, a and, and a
3: lot of my civil rights death cases it's not it, it, it participated in.
2: Yeah. Now, to that we point... We may
3: litigate for years right. and, then, and then get to jury selection. And as soon as we get the jury, they settle the case because they know there's no way they can win against this jury.
2: Absolutely. Now, and to, vice versa. And vice versa. Now, to that point, so we know on the legal end we've got this um, pending... No, another second grand jury will be convening on Monday. I understand right. you've got some still major concerns about that, but we'll see how that goes. If that grand jury also fails to indict... The next step, I believe, you're going to do is a federal investigation. Tell us about what that would look like. We,
3: we, well, well, then we will be soliciting the involvement of, we'll be soliciting Mr. Holder's office. Eric Holder, the DOJ, uh, sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, Attorney General, for involvement and intervention um, and, in the case.
2: And that would be because
3: to see. It is difficult yeah. to win these cases, but rarely, it's difficult to win a police shooting case, period, as you yes. can see, yes. um, recently in Orange County. But when someone's murdered live on camera by an officer and the two officers flanking him who never shoot, I mean, this is textbook first-year law school indictment. And so if the Mm -hmm. state of North Carolina can't get an indictment, I'm sure that the federal government is capable of doing so.
1: What was so surprising to me was um, the initial reaction right after um jonathan was shot this officer was fired and the criminal investigation immediately started and ebony talked about how um you know they tried to avoid the appearance of impropriety by having um you know a different office handle the case and we talked about that on our show and we were saying um you know, that we're moving in the right direction after Trayvon Martin, unlike with uh, that case where it took so long for George Zimmerman um, to get charged here. We saw, you know, we saw the ball rolling immediately after he was shot. So um, what happened this week seems surprising to me.
2: Yeah. But then that, make, that well, makes well, the question, is this smoke and mirrors? You know, that's because the yeah. chief
3: elected to arrest Officer Carrick. I mean, he's the one who made the right move. Right. So Chief Monroe should be complimented. The case started to be fumbled once it got to the litigation process, once it went mm-hmm. to the prosecutors.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: And it's been fumbled ever since then. Continues just consistently. They've been breaking promises to us. They've been hiding evidence. They mm-hmm. have a protective order not to release the, the dash cam video, which shows the murder. Yet they, they release redacted portions of a 911 call that go to impugn the character of, of Mr. Farrell. Let me ask you this, Chris. So, how
2: difficult was it for you to get your eyes on that tape? Because I imagine it was very challenging. Well, the,
3: initially the chief invited us in. Okay, and I, so I started with the family,
2: oh, and wow. the
3: chief had, had consented to, had agreed to release the tape to us. Oh. And once the case was transferred to the prosecutor, uh, they went and got a protective order and said, "Hey, no, we don't want the tape out."
2: So, if you wanted to go they, see it again, could you?
3: They won't let us see it again. Wow, they won't let us see it again.
1: I can't even believe, and that. I and can't. So this t-
3: is this is why I'm suspicious that they didn't show the, the tape to. The grand, the grand jury. If you sure see the tape, yeah, it's very compelling.
2: And here's the thing. Here's the thing that, that's interesting to me, because I actually personally worked side by side with many of the lawyers on this officer's defense team. And uh George uh Lauren basically suggested that the tape was good evidence for the defense. Of course, he's going to say that, that if you watch the tape, that it will show that – um Jonathan was being erratic and, and showing a situation. So that's what so so if that's true, right? Then show the tape. Exactly. Why is everyone so afraid of the tape? If they if exactly. they're
1: if what they claim, they claim that Jonathan, um they they you know, warned him not to keep approaching and he continued to do so. So if that is the case, then exactly why not show the tape? Why not release the tape right.
2: to the public? And exonerate <laughs> your client. Yeah. I mean that's what I would exactly. do if the tape was good for me. So, I, 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 don't, oh, I that's... Because so nice. I submit it doesn't say that. Right. I mean...
3: You've got to recall, Jonathan had just been involved in a very serious car accident. Yes. So, he's barefoot in a t-shirt and jeans and, and slacks and he is walking towards them and, and their allegation is that, well, we thought he was a robber. Well, a robber's not going to walk towards you. He's going to go the other way. Right. Number one. But number two, the commands that they issue, they never identify themselves as Charlotte Mecklenburg police. Hmm. They never say stop, freeze, et cetera. Hmm. And when they finally do begin to issue commands, the, the succession of gunshots began in such an immediate time mm-hmm. that there was no reasonable human being could have reacted. Mm.
1: To me, the most egregious the thing is that it was 12 shots fired. Right, right. That is he, far beyond warning shots. One, two, three, 12? I mean, come on.
3: He emptied the clip. That's crazy. And listen, there's no need to escalate the deadly force. Three, if right. three against one. Three officers versus one and guy. And you're right, Chris. They it's telling tasers. to me that that, got,
2: that this guy, I mean, he's already got job, but your point earlier was that there needs to be more training. And we know that to be true because this right. officer, Kirk, was the most inexperienced of the three officers mm-hmm. on site. And, oh, look, what a coincidence that he is the one that took this measure.
3: Yeah. And, you and he can't, was an animal control officer before that. And it had, had only been with the uh, police department a year and it had already been suspended. Mm-hmm. They won't tell us why. They won't give us his employee file, mm-hmm. but he'd been suspended. And, and you know what? I'll tell you what's most aggravating about all this. I mean, just shocking and, and inhumane is that after he had shot him 10 times on the ground, they handcuffed him. <sighs> the handcuffs weren't removed from Jonathan Farrell's body until he got to the medical examiner's office.
2: Oh, my gosh. I mean, this is you can't make this stuff up. I mean, yeah. this is just and then it's like and then you see what happens to Dr. Grant. I mean, I'm just, I guess I'm just getting annoyed and frustrated and disheartened with this same narrative.
1: Here's the thing. I thought Correct. we were moving in the right direction in post Trayvon Martin, because, you know, the beginning of how this case started out and then in the Renisha McBride case, yeah. very similar facts in, in my mind of the woman who got into the car accident, went to the home to ask a neighbor for help. That neighbor actually then shot her himself. Mm-hmm. And that neighbor has been charged with manslaughter. Mm-hmm. So um, to then see a jury like this, it, it makes me wonder and they I'm must not, not be seeing well, all of the know, evidence just, like Chris said.
3: Yeah. I know that I think that this, is, this disproportionately does affect the African-American community because they disproportionately uh, encounter police officers. But I think this is a larger problem affecting all Americans, regardless of race. I mean, look at the shooting in Tampa this week. The guy shooting was a former cop. There's a fundamental issue with that the training. Was, uh,
1: that was with the movie theater where someone mm. was texting on his Correct. phone, and a former cop mm. shot him to death because he was texting on his phone during a movie.
2: Yeah, I, and I, I, yeah. last month the
3: city, the city of Charlotte just settled a, a civil lawsuit for wrongful death for shooting and killing another man. He was
2: white, a white, a white man in a in a hometown. To that point, I think it's also very surprising that in your case, Chris, this was the first time an actual. Uh, officer was charged with a during duty shooting in 30 years in Mecklenburg County. Correct. I mean, that's insane. I mean, there's got to be more accountability within that office. There's got to be, I totally agree with you, Chris, more training. Why? Right. Where is the intermediate steps before you draw your weapon and use deadly force? I mean, that that's just it, out it, of control. And let me
3: just quickly give you some stats on the of Mecklenburg sure. Police Department. In a two year period, they had 979 injuries from account- encounters uh, related to an arrest. So, 979 citizens were injured from the police department from encountering during arrest. Now, of the complaints filed for excessive force in Charlotte Mecklenburg, 95.5% of those complaints went unaddressed. Mm. No no discipline, no action, no whatsoever.
2: So, essentially, that sends to me, that sends the officers a message that they have free reign, that they have absolute free go. reign. They cannot be reeled in, and we basically have no um, system to hold them any kind of accountable.
1: Well, let Correct. me ask you about the civil wrongful death suit sure. because, yeah. I mean, there, luckily we have a system where obvi- the criminal case right now is not going in the direction that we want it to be going in. Tell me about the civil suit and what's going on with that.
3: Well, first and foremost, the criminal case didn't even start moving until we filed a civil lawsuit. Wow. So mm-hmm. we've been waiting months for a criminal indictment, a convening of a grand jury. They didn't announce the, the convening of the grand jury until the day we filed a wrongful death suit
2: because
3: mm-hmm. he knew we were doing a press conference and we were going to call him out on it. So, part of the function of the civil lawsuit was to do just that—to
2: motivate to the, criminal the criminal process, hold uh, the criminal right. folks accountable. Secondly,
3: mm. some of the evidence we don't know what they are or are not showing to the grand jury. Our, what evidence we have no control of. What evidence that prosecutor presents to a jury. Well, we are able to independently propound our own discovery. We can take depositions. We can depose our own witnesses. We can go find other witnesses. We can have our own private investigators investigate. We can request records that we've been requesting via public records documents that they should give to us. They haven't been given to us. So now we can go get a court order to get them. So the purpose of the civil, the civil suit is basically to build our own case. Sure. And in any event that they don't get justice for, for Jonathan through uh, the attorney general's office, we can do it through a civil remedy.
2: This is just, this is fascinating. This is captive. And Chris, if you don't mind, we would love to call you back in, um, you know, in the next coming weeks. I feel like there's going to be rapid development and our viewers and listeners are very much tied to uh, the outcome of this case. So we want to really thank you this morning for giving us a little time. Wish you the very best moving forward with this new grand jury convening and, um, our, our blessings and well wishes to you
0: and certainly the family
2: of Jonathan as well. Thank you so much, Chris. That was attorney Chris Chestnut, everybody. Um, Wow. Just a fascinating case.
1: You, I, I want to – Phil, the producer, is going to kill me because I keep switching around stories. But I want to talk about a story next that I think sure. kind of fits in with a lot of things that he was talking about. What's interesting to me is that Chris said this was more than just a racial issue. He right. was really not making it a black or white issue. It was a police Issue is. And an issue of police going above and beyond in negative terms. Um, mm-hmm. This is a clear case of excessive force. Uh, so I, I want to talk about a study that came out this week that I, you know, in my mind, it kind of just kind of relates to these issues. Sure. The study says that nearly 50 percent of black men and 40 percent of white men are arrested at least once on non-traffic related crimes by the time they turn 23 years old so one thing that was surprising to me was that's not really a race issue as much in my mind that's just a 10 percent difference mm-hmm. between black and white that it is a stark difference but i i was surprised mm-hmm. that the difference was not even larger sure. but the fact that so many young men are being arrested mm-hmm. uh I, ebony what are your thoughts on this study? i mean
2: i think that shows uh... I, was there follow-up data? Because I would love to know how many of those arrests led to convictions. You see what I'm saying? Because then that because that, that kind of reminds me of like the stop and frisk stuff that was going on in New York where there were so many stops and there was a less than 10 percent conviction rate. It, it might have even been lower than that. So, again, are we just looking at everyone as suspects, every young man seeing as suspicious? And if that's what we are in society, I think that's a— um that's a characterization that, that there's a deeper rooted problem going on in our society we should not be living in fear of our young men see what i'm saying yeah. that's a excuse me that's a symptom is what i'm saying of a of a much deeper societal ail
1: and this study was actually focusing just on arrests, not convictions, because the data they used for it was not arrest data. Mm. It was the uh, Federal Bureau of Labor Statistics. When these men apply for apply jobs, for jobs mm. how many of them, they studied 7,000 young people who answered questions, um, including if they had ever been taken into custody for something other than a traffic offense. And this is where those numbers came out of. So this study isn't focusing on convictions and criminal justice so much as it's focusing on What is the negative impact of having the arrest alone on your record and shaping policy to try to minimize the effect that has when you do go out for a job? Because if these numbers are so high – that's going to hinder these young people. And it was interesting to me another statistic. There's a big jump, um, because the authors found that by age 18, 30% of black men, 26% of Hispanic men, and 22% of white men had been arrested. By 23, those numbers climbed to 49% for black men, 44% for Hispanic men, and 38% for white men. So mm-hmm. just in those couple of years. Because <laughs>
2: I think, again, those are the years that we're, see- we, we, we get afraid of them. You know what I mean? And that's, I don't know. That's that's to me. That's we need to do. I think, you know, I, I always come back to this. I think it's education. I think it's workforce. And I think when we have more confidence in the fact that our young people are being productive members of our society, and I think most of us are, but there is still this underlying suspicion that 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 they're not and that mass society needs to be afraid and live in fear. And it's just sad. It's just very, very sad to me.
1: Yeah. And I just want to make one last comment on this study. You brought up stop and frisk. Mm -hmm. And when I read this, I thought that to me, you know, the policy of um, targeting someone because it's supposed to be because you believe that they have a weapon on them. but. Oftentimes it's mm-hmm. as little evidence as our suspicion is, oh, he's wearing a hoodie. He's in, you mm-hmm. know, a white neighborhood sure. at night and he's a black person, yeah, you know, pants,
2: just stuff that's or silly. he's
1: running, you know, in a neighborhood at night, you right. know, all, all these little things. And that gives them the right to, you know, approach them. And then obviously it's leading to arrest in these cases. So I think
2: the theme here, Mari, is artificial suspicion. You know what I mean? Just artificial suspicion, stuff that's not really rooted in what the courts designated to be reasonable suspicion. So, All right. Before we sign off here, um, earlier this week, unless you were living under a rock, you know that pop sensation Justin Bieber was arrested. Uh, Arrested on, I believe, three charges. Uh, Suspicion of driving while, well, not even suspicion, no, driving while impaired, um, uh, resisting without a weapon, and uh, invalid driver's license. Uh, he was released uh, shortly after the arrest, uh, same 24-hour period, and released for $2,500 worth of bond. So what I did, I did an op-ed piece on CNN.com, and you can see it there if you're interested. Um, but my issue in the op-ed was really talking about how— basically stupid Justin Bieber was and he did the thing that many 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 people do when they get arrested he talked too much Justin actually made a statement to the Miami Dade police that he was drinking that he was smoking pot that he was taking prescription drugs I mean Mark talk about making his defense lawyer and lawyer's job so difficult so because now Roy Black who's a you know very high profile a lot of us girls know him as the husband of Leah Black from the uh, Miami Housewives. But seriously, Roy, high, high, high profile uh, criminal defense attorney. He's not going to have to circumvent that statement, you know, and, and, and basically probably try to get it suppressed if he can, which is difficult because to show you have to show basically coercion. And it doesn't look like from the facts I've seen that Justin was cursed in any way. It sounds like he was just running off at the mouth and not utilizing his constitutional right to remain silent.
1: You know what was interesting when I read your op-ed piece was um, it made me think about a lot of the criticism of Miranda Warnings. Miranda Warnings is um, when someone is arrested, it's everything you've heard you know, in TV and movies. You have the right to remain silent. Any statement you use can and will be used against you, you
0: know, in a court of
1: law. Uh, you have a right to an attorney if, if you do you not have an attorney. One, yes. Yeah, if you Ma- can't afford an attorney, language. yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, one can be provided for you. The criticism when that case came down in the 60s and since then has been that, oh, if these suspects are given the warnings, then the amount of confessions will.
0: Go down yeah. so
1: much. We the police won't be able to effectively do their job because if these people are warned, they have the right to remain silent. They will utilize that right, and there won't be confessions. The interesting thing is, and Justin Bieber is mm-hmm. a case of this or an example of this. The number of confessions before and after the Miranda warnings mm-hmm. has changed very, very little, very right. slightly. So. Giving you that warning hasn't really inhibited police in their job of collecting evidence, collecting information, getting confessions and getting these suspects to talk because they can hear that warning. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it's um, fear. Sometimes it's thinking it's better to come clean now. Sure. Um, there's a lot of different motivations that go on. In not using that right, sometimes but- they
2: think. I think a big thing and I address this in the op-ed piece. Many people think silence is an indication of guilt. Yep, and um, it's it's silly. Uh, you know, it's easy for us to see the silliness of that as attorneys or people that know the law, but people do. People do. And and the and the police they they have a long leadway, and people do need to know this. The police have lots of leadway in terms of. Basically, they can manipulate, um, an interview with a suspect and, and, and tell you untruths. They can lie to you and tell you that you're going to make it better for yourself if you tell us now. It's up to you to know to see through that tactic and be quiet. Another thing, Mari, I guess, It's just me, but I think that there's other evidence than confessions. You know, let these police do their job. And that's really why I was so critical of people not using their right to remain silent. Don't hand the prosecutors evidence to convict you with on a silver platter. And that's essentially what those type of statements do do. There are breathalyzers. There are feel sobriety tests. There are a lot of times dash cameras. There's other evidence that the prosecutors have and can collect to also point to a defendant's guilt. You don't have to solely rely on the person just Confessing, So, you know, that's a part of the process I love, Mari. I love the adversarialness of it. Let the state be accountable for their burden. The defense is very much accountable for um, making an argument to raise reasonable doubt. And if both sides do their job, it it can work effectively. But when there's a breakdown and an undermining of the other person's position, it becomes, I say, a, a corruption of the system. That's just my opinion.
1: And, uh, I'm gonna make a prediction here on this show that Justin Bieber may very well eclipse Chris Brown in the number of times we mention him on this show related really? to mm. crimes and arrest. Because, I mean, Chris Brown right now is keeping quiet in an Finally. anger management, yes, yes. um, rehab facility. Mm-hmm. And, um, some of Justin Bieber's behaviors—he—he—he's not as angry of, of an individual, but he, yet yeah. <laughs> but I mean, some of his behaviors um, these last couple days—I mean. He's smiling in his mugshot, who God knows what he was on when he took that mugshot. Mm-hmm. He um, apparently was being given fellatio when he was pulled wow. over. Wow! Wow! Um, okay. And also <laughs> when he well, left the police station, yeah. he got on top of his van and smiled and waved to the cameras. This is not someone who understands... The severity of what happened and feels any sort of remorse. I mean, most oh, no. people, when they're arrested and they're high profile, they hide their heads or put the hoodies over their heads and they jump into the car. He was like loving the attention.
2: Not uh, only that, Mari, I'm going to say that I think he also kind of felt um, validated. I think we've seen Justin in the recent years trying to become a part of, uh, you know, a, uh, a, uh, a rough culture we see that in his entourage. I think now that he's finally been arrested he finally has a muksha he feels like he's earned some type of silly street cred that now gives him you know access to that type of um, persona.
1: Because apparently an egg warrant for uh, right. for egg in your neighbor's house is, yeah, uh, yeah. is not credible enough. Right. Um, but <laughs> the main issue to me with Justin Bieber, we'll, we'll, we'll close with uh, with Justin Bieber, sure. though I'm sure it won't be the last time we talk about him. No. Um, Is that this is someone, he's a young kid, and everyone in his entourage, Mm. all of his handlers, no one is willing to tell him no. No No one, everyone is afraid to say, hey, Justin, I don't think that's a good idea, whether it be getting prostitutes at a (laughs) brothel in some other country, whether it be bringing monkeys to foreign countries, whatever the crazy shit he does. You know what I mean? Everyone around him mm. are enablers and sure. that to me um mm. is the biggest issue with him. And
2: I think we see that with a lot of celebs and – Chris Brown, you're right. I think that's probably a pretty accurate parallel. So it'll be yeah. interesting. Perhaps Bieber will eclipse Chris Brown in the 2014 cycle on uh, Justices Served.
1: That's my prediction. Awesome. Uh, and there's a lot of great stories we didn't get a chance to discuss this week. Uh, so we're going to preview them. I definitely want to talk about it next week. One is should rap lyrics be used as evidence in criminal trials? That uh, decision will be coming down soon. So hopefully we'll be in a state su- Supreme Court. So hopefully we'll be discussing that next sure. week. Um, as well as how mug shots i'm sorry i'm not mugshots. shots police sketches mm-hmm. um play a role <laughs> that is a preview for next week That's that is an so actual bad. police sketch that is an actual mm. sketch that was used to try to find a robber uh, <sighs> who held up two women at knife point during the day um That could be lots of people. It looks kind Um, of like
2: Doug Funny to me. Or a cartoon character.
1: Um, So we'll talk about those issues next week. Thank you so much (laughs) for joining us. Um, Please let me know your thoughts on these issues. Tweet me at Mari Fagel.
2: Tweet me at Ebony underscore K. E-B-O-N-I underscore K. And
1: we will see you next week.
0: From producers Maria Menounos, Kevin Undergaro, Phil Svitek, Dario Kristen, and the entire B.H.L. staff. We would like to thank you for tuning in to the Black Hollywood Live Network. If you have questions or comments, tweet us at B.H.L. online or email us at info at blackhollywoodlive.com. For more exclusive content, visit blackhollywoodlive.com. This has been a presentation of the Black Hollywood Live Network. The views expressed here are those of the host only and do not necessarily reflect the views of B.H.L. or its owners or principals.